Hey seedlings, let's learn and grow together today. This is Alexis hosting the Live to Sustain podcast, a student-run initiative coming from the Central Valley. Today we have Becca Riles, an assistant professor of agroecology at UC Merced. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So can you tell us what the first thing is that comes to your mind when you hear the word sustainability? Oh, sustainability is such a a big, broad, all-encompassing word. So right away, what comes to my mind is just the interconnectedness among societies and the environment and justice. And so when I think about sustainability, I think about a vision of our future um, and a path for how we can go from here to there while considering those many different aspects of environmental health and human health and social justice. Very interconnected, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, and you do a lot of soil research. So what is your favorite thing you would say about soil? If you had to say there's one thing someone must know, what would it be? There's lots of things I hope people want to know about soil, but the one thing that I would impress upon people is that soil is living. It's, it's full of life. It's something that we often take for granted, but it's, um, there are more um, microorganisms in a small teaspoon of soil than there are people on the planet, and it's also incredibly diverse. So there's so much biodiversity in soil, and it's really that diversity of life in the soil that, that actually helps to sustain our planet. So, you know, a healthy soil, in my research and my teaching, I talk a lot about healthy soil, and a healthy soil is really fostering that, that living component of the soil, which helps to cycle nutrients, to make them available to plants. It helps plants grow. It helps us grow healthy food. It helps us, uh, the soil to retain water. And, and it also regulates the, the entire climate. There's, there's actually more carbon in the soil than there is in all of the plants all over the planet and in the atmosphere all, um, combined. And so I think, yeah, just I hope that people, um, when they think about soil, they don't think about as this dead substrate that they walk on, but it's really this, this living component of the earth that we need for us to live, to grow our food, to be healthy, um, and for, for nature to continue to be healthy as well. And a great carbon sink. <laughs> Definitely, yes. So why study soil? Why? Like what inspired you in the first place? Well, I guess when I was a kid, I never thought I would be studying soil, but I learned a lot along the way about why soils are important. And so I think for me, um, I actually, um, you know, when I was in school, I thought that I, I really, um, you know, I, I was really motivated to do something about climate change. So I actually went to school thinking that I would work in government to, to really work on policy, the political side of, of climate change solutions. But uh, with some experience I had with that, I really quickly realized that we need good science to support good climate policies. And that understand, even though we know that soil is this big carbon sink, we don't know a lot about what regulates those mechanisms. Like why is one soil better than another? Or if we've lost carbon from a soil, how do we get it back in there? It's not as easy to reverse that, that cycle. So I uh, kind of veered in my life from going the policy route to going to the, the science side of studying soil, just because there's a, you know, there's a lot that we don't know and there's huge potential to really think about soils as a climate solution. And so I think we need to study it in order to better understand what practices can 
be that climate solution and what practices can support a healthy soil. Um, and it's just also, um, it's a lot of fun to get dirty and to ask questions while you're getting dirty is just, a, it's a real privilege. And then knowing enough to be able to put it into a policy and explain the policy because there's exactly. so many like, layers. <laughs> exactly. And it's really been cool in the past, you know, decade or so to see, you know, now we are starting to have policies that support soil health. So California is a great example of that. We have a state level healthy soils program that's funded by our greenhouse gas cap and trade and that was driven in part by research that helped us to understand soil um, carbon better and help us to understand what practices support soil carbon. So it is really it is really um, great and uh, makes me feel very optimistic that we are starting to see some of that policy shift with some of the, the good science and also with all the you know all of the farmers and ranchers that take care of their soil also being part of that conversation. That's a good optimistic perspective to have even now during these times. Yes, <laughs> it's important to stay optimistic. I think that, you know, there are solutions out there. And so I think that we need to, you know, keep our sights set on how we achieve those solutions. I think we're capable of it. Even in day, that's a good like motto. That's a mantra. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see this field in five years, 10 years down the line, even with these policy interconnections that you're talking about? Well, I think it's a rapidly moving field. I mean, we've been studying soils as a discipline for many, many years, but I think our renewed focus on looking at soils as a solution, both for climate, but also for food security and uh, justice when you're thinking about, um, you know, who uh, bears the burden of, of environmental pollution. Um, I think that that shift in this discipline is coming from using science as a tool to better understand solutions. And so I think that's uh, where that field will keep moving in the next five to 10 years. And certainly thinking about the climate, um, we've had huge advancements in the past few years, but there's still really a lot that we need to know uh, about how carbon is stored in the soil and the role of regenerative agriculture um, as a tool to, to mitigate climate change through that carbon sink. So I think that in, uh, in this field, we'll start to see a lot more of the science shift into solution rather than um, an explanation of the problems. Both of those are necessary, but um, I think people are ready and, uh, and eager to act, um, but we just need to make sure that we're making the right decisions. And you said something there about the food chain and the food supply. So I'm sure you've seen all the news recently of all the produce being tilled over and yeah. stores, yeah. shelves, and all of those things. So kind of, do you have an opinion you could share with us quick on the resiliency of our current food system? Yes, uh, it's such a good question. And I think COVID has kind of shocked our food system in a way that we haven't seen, at least in modern days. So, you know, I think that one of the things that COVID has done for our food system as well for healthcare and other aspects of our lives is really point out the vulnerabilities of our food system. Um, you know, for example, we often rely on very long food supply chains. So if you go to the store, that produce that has gotten there has, has come from maybe very, very far away and has um, been in many people's hands and is part of this global supply chain that can be pretty not resilient to, to these market changes, which is why we see, uh, you know, instead of, um, instead of people 
you know, there, it's, there are still people hungry in this too. So, you know, we're tilling over this food, we're dumping milk, we're doing all of these things, not because people don't need that food, it's because our supply system was not uh, constructed to, to deal with, you know, responding quickly to where food needs are. Um, and so I think that it has really highlighted that this kind of globalized food system has a lot of flaws in it. And so I'm hoping that, you know, maybe this goes back to your last question too, but, you know, part of the way that this field might move is trying to better understand how we build networks of agricultural systems that think about the communities that they feed, rather than just thinking about food that we grow as a commodity and the soil is the substrate that that food is grown on. So I certainly don't have those answers um, because this is something I think we're all, all learning. But I think that there's a lot of knowledge that we can draw on from indigenous communities, from um, regenerative farmers that are doing new practices and thinking in different ways about how you both uh, treat that soil well on your own farm, but also how you connect with the community that you feed. Um, so I think that's, certainly where we need to go. It's a big challenge, um, but I think COVID has really highlighted the need to, to rethink our food system and examine those vulnerabilities and how we can change them. Even here in the Central Valley too, with localizing that and going more farmers markets and because so much of what's produced in the Central Valley is exported even too. So it's easy to see even right here where we are. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even before COVID, there are so many people in the Central Valley, Valley that are food insecure. That shouldn't happen in a place that's considered one of the agricultural hubs of the world. So yes, absolutely. Here, right here in our backyard, we need to think about that. Yes. And you said something about soil health and that's the substrate that your food is grown on. And I love, I love saying that. Um, so what is something that individuals, because here in the Central Valley and all over a lot of people are getting more into gardening because of quarantine and other things and then we have a lot of people here in the Central Valley who are orchards you know they are um, farming their own food so what's something that an individual can do to improve their soil health yeah um, fortunately I think there's a, a lot of things that people can do to improve their soil health which is you know a good thing um, as an individual um, yeah thinking about where you're buying your food you mentioned farmers market we do have some farmers markets um, that are even still operating um, with COVID with safe practices um, so you know think about where you're buying your food if you can buy it from the farmers market definitely support our local farmers Think about how you're eating your food. Try to minimize food waste first. And then if you do have food scraps, compost those. Composting is a really awesome way to capture that organic material and those nutrients in what was considered waste and what was transported to the landfill where it produces methane into this like rich resource for your soil. Um, a lot of the research that I've done has looked at how we can use car uh, compost to sequester carbon and increase uh, productivity of the land. So that's a really, really good thing that you can do in your own backyard, if you, especially if you garden, trying to um, use your own compost. But also just gardening, not only to uh, you know, grow your own food, but just having that connection and getting dirty and appreciating your soil, like learning a little bit about the soil that's in your yard. Um, yeah, and I think as if you're a farmer um, or if you have an orchard or a ranch, 
Um, there's lots of state level incentives for um, implementing new soil health practices. So the Healthy Soils Program is a great way um, to look at that. If any of your listeners want more information on that, they're welcome to contact me and I can put them, um, direct them to the right information. We also have a really great climate uh, smart uh, extension specialist here in Merced. Um, so there's lots of local resources for understanding um, getting technical assistance and financial assistance for doing soil health practices. Um, but also maybe if you're a farmer talking to your neighbors, having, you know, one of the ways that um, uh, farmers make sustainable changes is by seeing what their neighbor does and, and then trying it out themselves. So talking, talking to your fellow neighbors is a good way to do that also. But I also just recommend us all going outside and, and getting dirty and playing in the dirt and, and you know, sometimes just having a, a, a quiet moment to stare at that teaspoon of soil and just contemplate all the life in there and, and how we might want to, to help that life just as much as it helps us. Bond with your community and bond with your soil. <laughs> bond with your soil, yes, I love that. <laughs> so you are an educator and a researcher and a parent. So what advice do you have for parents to get their kids interested in going outside and staring at their teaspoon and learning about the biodiversity? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I'm a, a parent of a 20-month-year-old, so I certainly don't have all of the answers yet. But what I've seen in just that short time is that kids, um, I feel like, you know, the, uh, their, their innate um, curiosity, it, it doesn't matter um, who you are, kids are just curious and they want to discover, they want to poke things, they want to learn about their environment. So I think encouraging that process of discovery and exploration at any age is, is one thing that parents can do. Um, for parents with older kids, um, talking to their kids about why soil is important um, is a good thing to do. Just thinking about, um, you know, maybe even, you know, when you sit down to have dinner together, looking at the food and talking about where that food came from and what was used to grow it. And it's, you know, it can be very simple things reminding them that plants need sunlight, um, uh, water, and soil to grow, and, and where do those resources come from? So I think there's pretty simple conversations that people can have. Um, one other cool thing is, um, especially for parents with older kids, um, I think talking to scientists is something that a lot of kids don't have uh, maybe immediate access to. Um, you, most scientists that I know love random emails from parents and kids in their community. But that, that can be, you know, if you, if you don't know a professor, it's really weird and hard to maybe email them out of the blue if you haven't made that connection. So maybe first know that there's lots of scientists that would love to talk to your kids or the classroom that your kids go to. So feel free to contact me or anybody else that, um, that is of interest. There's also a really cool resource called Skype a Scientist. I'm not affiliated with it at all, but it's nonprofit, and I, so I would just like to plug it. It's basically a way that teachers and parents can go on and find a scientist in a particular field, including soil science, and then they can set up a Skype call with that classroom or with that kid, and then those children can learn directly from the scientists who study those things. So I think, yeah, like just having your own conversations with your kids, asking them questions. What do you think about this? Why is soil brown? Why is that soil red? Um, where does that food come from? You know, that's simple things that we can do every day, but then there's also these connections that, that they can have with, um, 
with other scientists, many of whom are parents, so that they, you know, will appreciate and understand why um, that somebody want, might want to make that connection. That's probably one of the biggest silver linings of being at home all day is that you can talk with someone who's on the other side of the country and get to learn about their passions because people honestly do love to share their passion. It's so true. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that there, it can be intimidating to ask somebody if you don't know them already. But um, I find that, yeah, just as you said, lo people love to talk about what they love. <laughs> and if somebody is willing to hear, um, they're more than willing to take the time to share their passion. Right. And that opening the door can be a little hard. But once you get that first conversation going, they're open. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Becca, for talking with us. I had a great conversation and so much knowledge on biodiversity of soil. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. And don't forget to branch out and live sustainably. Bye, everyone.